Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Thanks for being with us online, if you're with us online as well. Uh, Welcome to Summit Crossing Limestone, especially if you're new with us uh, today. We just want to continue to say thank you for giving us some of your time this morning. We know that it's not always easy to get up and go to church with somebody. Maybe some of your friends bugged you enough that you finally came, or maybe you have some family members that, you know, you just wanted to come with today. And so if you're here and you're visiting with us, we want to say welcome. You know, as a church, we want you just to make yourself at home. Uh, Don't feel like you need to be anything but you right now. So we're not coming after your wallet. We're not coming after anything in your life. You just sit there and just hopefully have a, uh, have a good morning. Uh, we don't uh, believe that it's an accident that you're here. And so if you are with us and you're a visitor, uh, we want you to believe in Jesus. If you don't, that's our agenda uh, with you this morning. And other than that, we're just really, really glad uh, that you're spending some time with us. Uh, for all of us, we have an exciting April that's coming ahead of us. We've got a lot of cool things coming down the uh, pipe. We've got Easter coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, we're already working on that. We're going to have a Good Friday service uh, the Friday before Easter, so we've been working on that as well. Just a lot of fun things happen. We've got some cool stuff going on with some church planning we'll talk about towards the end of the month. But one of the things we've also been talking a lot about is um, on May 1st, which isn't April, it's actually coming in May. Uh, on May 1st, we're going to have a celebration Sunday where we're, we're really celebrating all the stories of what God is doing uh, in our church. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that is we're having baptisms. If you're interested in being baptized, come talk to us. Maybe you have kids that uh, you're wondering if it's time for them to be baptized, if you need to talk to someone about that, man, we would love to talk to you about that and how you could be baptized that day. We're doing baby dedications. That's a lot of fun. So if you are interested in that, come talk to one of us and we can get you, um, uh, we we can do uh, your baby that day too, dedicate your baby that day. We're going to have a cool time out at the park where we've got all kinds of food and and games and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, One of the big things about Uh, that morning is we're going to only have one service that morning, and so it's going to be at 10 o'clock. So May 1st at 10 o'clock right here in this room, and so I told the 9 o'clock I'm giving them an extra hour of sleep, and with you, the 11 o'clock service, I believe in you so deeply. I'm so proud of each of you uh, so much that I think I'm going to ask you to wake up an hour early that morning and come and be with us at 10 o'clock. You can do this, I promise you. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. I like that energy. Let's do it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a, a family service for everybody. We will have child care from birth uh, through pre-K, uh, kindergarten and up. Man, we want them in here seeing what God's doing in our midst. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you can uh, get ready for that. Mark your calendars. Get a little bit of extra sleep. Uh, that night. It's going to be cool. Um, another thing we have coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm really, or actually not a couple of weeks, this week on Wednesday that I'm real excited about. Wednesday night at six o'clock right here in this room, uh, we're going to be watching a movie together called Role Model. And what makes this movie um, unique is actually made by uh, uh, part of our church, David Nemeth. Uh, and his team made this movie, a really, really awesome movie. What we really like about that is we believe that the gospel is something that, that it can't just be explained through like scientific uh, words and like logic. And, and it can't just be understood with just simple words alone. Like God, even in his word, the Bible, he, he went to great lengths to describe his glory through artistic means. So when you go into the Bible, you don't just have like epistles or like we'll see in John today, like gospel accounts. You also have poetry. Poetry. You have songs that were written. You have wisdom literature. You have all kinds of analogies and all kinds of just artistic ways that God revealed himself to us as if to say his glory is so great that we, that we need to see it through the arts. In fact, the arts give us a glimpse into the glory of God uh, in, in ways that are very, very unique. And one of those ways is through telling stories, through things like film. And so it's an exciting thing that um, someone in our church has gone through that whole artistic, uh, creative process to bring us this film. I wanted you to hear from David. I can't quite see you out there. You seem a little dark to me, so hopefully you're still out there. Like, um, I'm going to bring David out here, and I want you to hear from him and a little bit more about what we're going to be doing on uh, Wednesday. And so... uh, there he is. David, there you are. I didn't know if you were still back there or not. Yeah, you here. are still back there. This is David Nemeth, um, everybody. Hi. Yes. He loves applause for himself. Yeah, it's, it's the best. Absolutely loves it. You yeah. absolutely love it. So David Nemeth, man, yes. I'm so excited about this movie. You made a movie called Role Model. What, yeah. t- tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so Role Model, it's uh, about an hour and a half long film. Uh, it's about a young man who, uh, when he finds out that his wife is pregnant, he skips town. 
And after that, he's followed by his estranged father who comes back into his life and tries to get him to see the error of his ways before he loses his family forever. So ultimately, it's a story of, of forgiveness and redemption and uh, really just family. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds awesome. Now, I know we have a, a trailer for it, right? Yeah. So why don't we watch that trailer? Y'all check this trailer out. I'm here to help you. <laughs> Can I help you with something? I'm looking for someone. Hey, Matt. Dad? Why are you here? I could ask you the same thing. I found out this morning. You're going to be a great dad. What if I don't want to be? No, no, no. Why are you so angry? I'm not angry. <laughs> Honestly, why is it so difficult with you? I'm being difficult. Yeah. I go out there and bust my butt every day and get absolutely no respect from, from everyone. And how am I supposed to help you if you won't let me? Why would you need to help me? I don't need it. All of this is because of you. When has this not been about you? Look, I have enough of this dead people. Regardless of what you say, he's still my husband. I'm not just gonna walk out. No. Oh, like he's doing right now. You've got to rely on yourself. What do you expect me to do? What you've always done. The best you can to survive. Don't be like me. This isn't real! Everything I did was for you. Come on, Dad, please! You don't need me. You need them. Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. You actually, you actually made this movie. Like you made yes. this movie. When some people out there, you, you actually made this movie, yes. and so, uh, which is impressive in and of itself. But tell me, like, why, why this movie? Why? So when, when we make any, well, when I write and uh, direct any movies, um, any film, this is our first big feature film, but we've done a lot of short films, and, and the intent that I go in is there's uh, a lot more practicality to the gospel than sometimes I think we give it. Um, and so I really wanted to explore some, some human stories, some people who deal with everyday stuff of lives and who are face-to-face -face with uh, the problems and issues that they, that they face, um, but then will be able to deal with those in hopefully a, a healthy way and a, a gospel-centered way, um, but still, like, reflect the themes of the gospel, um, such as forgiveness and redemption and stuff like that. So, uh, while it's not an overtly Christian film, it has those undertones in it, and that's what, you know, we want to do so we can uh, not only reach people in the church, but people outside of the church who may not be exposed to, to these uh, kind of healthy ideas and, and, um, and, and ways of, of thinking about things and solving problems. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and uh, I know on Wednesday night, you and your producer will be here, and we'll, we'll have a chance to watch the movie together, and then and then do a Q&A time for anybody that wants to stay around and ask. We're, and you've told us we can ask you anything you, we want about the movie, but within I do, reason. I, yeah, within reason, within <laughs> reason, of course, yeah, within reason, anything we want uh, about the movie within reason, right? But uh, I do know um, that we have uh, a lot of students here, a lot of them, um, and, and younger people here, especially who 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 are interested in the creative process, maybe even interested in in getting into film or getting into some of that stuff. And so, so what would what would you say to them? How would you encourage them in that? Well, um, this film we did in 10 days, which is just ridiculous. We filmed it in 10 days. Uh, most feature films will take a month, maybe three, uh, to film, and we just got this done in 10 days and in the, in the height of COVID. But something that, that, that showed us um, is that it takes a lot of uh, tenacity, and um, I'm, I'm scrambling for the word stick to I don't know. The, the good word for that. Um, but a lot of tenacity and, and just going ahead and doing it. So when we went into it, it's, uh, I mean, there were a lot of reasons why we couldn't do it and why we shouldn't do it. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just like, look, this is what we want to do. This is what we feel like we should do. And so we're going to do it. And there was nothing that could stop us. And so even, even when uh, COVID hit and when, um, you know, we had to do post-production uh, all virtually, so I couldn't even meet in person with anybody after the film was shot, so we had to do all the editing and stuff virtually. Um, but it just took finding ways to get things done and to just start doing it and uh, keep going, because in this industry, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of 
A lot of times you'll struggle and you'll uh, wonder if this is even worth it. I don't know. I, I do all the time. Uh, and it just takes getting up, back up and keep doing it and keep going. And uh, that's, those are the ones that actually get things like this done. Because if we hadn't have um, you know, picked ourselves back up after some of the, the hiccups and some of the problems that came, and I can discuss those more on Wednesday night, we had tons of issues come up with this film. But if we hadn't have stuck to it and, and kept going in spite of all that, then this wouldn't have happened and wouldn't be done. Yeah, just stick with it. Just start yeah. creating and stick start with creating it. and stick with it. Yeah, yeah. So now y I know y'all are um, showing this film in a lot of different places. You got some some uh, uh, film festivals that are coming up, right? That, yeah. that that you're you're gonna be in one in Atlanta. Did I hear one that in Atlanta, right? and we're waiting to hear back from the others. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So we'll 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 be your your mini film festival on Wednesday night. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think uh, if you don't have any plans yet, man, make make plans to come and be here with us on on Wednesday at six o'clock. Uh, if your kids are part of our our student ministries, that's what we're doing that evening. Is we want the students here. I think it's gonna be a great time. Uh, it, I think it's a great project that y'all are doing. I think it's serving a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of different people and so I'd love to pray for the project pray for you if that'd be okay Absolutely. and uh, let's pray uh, God we, we are thankful that the gospel does have legs to it it is practical that God uh, we, we pray over this project role model that you would be using it in ways to inspire people I, I pray that the maybe even Wednesday night there'd be people that come here that, that uh, see this movie and, and it it hits them in a way that causes them to, to seek you, that causes them to ask deeper questions, that causes them to, to ask questions about maybe the trajectory of their life and, and how they can turn back to you and find more hope and find more redemption. Lord, we know that uh, it's not just necessarily people in the church. We pray for people outside of the church who, who will come in contact with this story. God, you move through story. The gospel is good news. It's a story. And so, Lord, all these other stories are just whispering the name of Jesus. And so I pray that they would hear this story, that, that it would move in their lives in a way that causes them to ask questions, the bigger questions about life, that they might find redemption, that they might find uh, some, um, grace, that they might find love and family. And Lord, I pray over David. I pray that uh, we're so grateful for him and his family and just what they've meant to our church um, especially over this last year, just as, as we get to know each other better. We're so grateful for his work uh, with our students and just the time he's putting in there and the time he's putting in on our worship team and so many creative ways. But God, I also just pray for, for him and his team that have made this, that, that their experience getting out there and showing this to people would cause them to, to draw close to you, to see your power move. And I pray that you would bless their words and, and bless their time with people in a way that causes you to receive glory and it's good for the people that get to see this. So we lift this project up to you and pray that you would use it. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right, if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 19. We're jumping back into John today. We've been in John for several months together as a church, so if you're new with us, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those Bibles off the ground or in, underneath the seats. If you don't have one at home, you can even take that home with you just as a gift uh, on us. Don't, don't worry, just take it with you. And we're going to be in John chapter 19, kind of jumping back in. Uh, right into the story, uh, what, what has historically been called the Passion of the Christ, or, or because we're in John, John's Passion of the Christ, the story that's leading up to Jesus going to the cross, and then on Easter, like raising back from the dead. So it's that whole, that whole series of stories leading up to that. And today we're going to see one more story before Jesus actually gets crucified. We'll talk about the crucifixion next week, we'll talk about the, the resurrection during Easter in a couple of weeks, but for today I want to talk about power. And talk about what real power is. Because it's one of those things that right here as Jesus is approaching the cross, he's actually going to deal pretty in, in some pretty major themes around the idea of what really constitutes true power. In fact, what we'll see in this passage that we're going to look at here in just a little bit is that uh, there, he, he talks to political leaders and he shows the limits of political power. And then he also shows the limits of religious power as he talks to religious leaders in the story, and he shows something about what true power really looks like. My, my hint to that, by the way, is true power is found in weakness, not in strength. But we're going to talk about real power, and the reason I think that's important for us today is because I think a lot of us have grown up in church, or we've gone through the motions of church, or maybe you've lived in cultures where church is just part of your way of life and have been burned by power structures in the world. 
So a lot of people in our church here at Summit Crossing, by the way, if you're new and checking us out, a lot of us grew up in church and we were burned by religious authorities who had some measure of power, used that power in a way that was ultimately abusive towards us and we were burned by the church. We're kind of coming back to it again going, is, is that all there really is, is religious authority and power? Some of us, we grew up in a culture where you couldn't really tell the difference between a church and a political party. And so we grew up and we were confused about what does it really mean to be uniquely Christian? Does that mean that you are basically part of this party over here or maybe this party over here? And there was no, no real, there was such a blending of our, our, our faith with our politics that we just assumed that pol- politics were the end game. That's what we're trying to do is affect change through politics. And then we came to find out that the politicians ultimately didn't have the power that we thought that they would have. Or maybe we were even burned by the politicians. And so a lot of us have grown up and we've been confused about what real Christianity is. And here is Jesus coming in, in the book of John, as he's telling the story about Jesus approaching the cross. And before Jesus ever goes up onto the cross to ultimately deal with our sins, something that we're gonna talk at length about next week, he's first and foremost coming in and he's being threatened by all these so-called powers in the world. And we're going to see between now and, and all the way through Good Friday, we're going to see that all of the powers that come at him, whether it's the political power, whether it's religious power, next week if it's Satan himself, or even on Easter and Good Friday, uh, death itself, all of these powers ultimately are limited compared to Jesus. His power has no limits. What constitutes real power? I'm going to read you the story, and then we're going to show you the limits of political power, the limits of religious power, and where true power is ultimately found. It's kind of an interesting thing, and for some of you today, I think if we can talk about this, it could bring some healing into some of the burned-out parts of your life that have come because of an abuse of power. Let's talk. Open up to John chapter 19, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read you this whole passage, and we'll pull a couple of little points out of it today. Verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Verse 2, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king, and they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We'll stop there. We'll stop there. All right, so this is a story about power. It's a power struggle. It's almost like the world and Satan, maybe death itself, knows what Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to do, and it's like they're throwing out all of the stops trying to stop him from from going to the cross, even though the people in the story have no clue that they're caught up in a much bigger story than they ever imagined. 
You have three main characters in the story. You have Pilate, the politician. You have the chief priests or the religious leaders. And you have Jesus. And the first thing you see is that Pilate, the politician, is very, very limited in his power, right? Did you notice that when I was reading that story? Here is Pilate, and he has Jesus, and he, he, he finds no, no flaw in him. He says, Jesus didn't break any laws at all. In fact, he goes out to the Jews and to the religious leaders, and he goes, I'm not going to crucify him. Like, he hasn't broken any laws. I can't crucify him. And they're like, you have to. You have to crucify him. Please crucify him. He's like, I'm not going to crucify him. He comes back into Jesus, and he's like, please don't make me crucify you. Like, who do you say you are? And he says, Jesus doesn't answer him. And then what does Pilate do? He goes, hey, I have authority over you. It's almost like, hey, wake up, you moron. Like, I have the authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you. And then Jesus says something that all of us need to hear. He says, actually, Pilate, you politician, you have no authority except the authority given to you by God to accomplish a story that you have no clue that you're even caught up in right now. Or you could paraphrase it even again. He says the politician is, actually, you're nothing more than a pawn in God's plan to bring himself glory through me. In fact, you could paraphrase him again. He could say something along the lines of, here's the thing, Pilate, yeah, you think that you have authority because you're in a place of political power, but you gotta understand in God's economy, politicians only get in those places of power through his sovereign hand. And so everybody that holds that position is simply there because God put them there, and that's the only authority they have, no matter how powerful they think they are. They're there to serve God, whether they realize it or not, and God's plan will not be thwarted by some political power out there. Do you see what Jesus is doing in that moment? He's going, look, people want to seize power in all kinds of different ways, and people want to link up with power in all kinds of different ways, and sometimes they want to seize power by taking on a political position, or sometimes they want to link up with power by simply going and giving over their souls to a political position, and Jesus is coming in and saying, as much power as you think they have, they don't. God determines who's in that position, and God determines who's not. And that man or that woman is only there as long as God intends for them to be there to accomplish his story, his plan, to bring about himself glory through Jesus. Which is kind of hopeful to me. It actually kind of makes me feel good when I stop to think about that for just a second, because I think a lot of us get confused about the role of politics in our faith. Look, I'm not talking, uh, Jesus is the one talking about it in these passages, so we got to talk about it. But I, I think a lot of us are confused, because what happens typically when you, when you start thinking about politics, it's, it's, it's interesting, because some people give politicians too much power, and some people don't want to give them any power at all. You know what I'm talking about? Like, for example, if you go into, like, the more conservative, a lot of times the less urban parts of our country, those are the people who don't want to give politicians, like, any power at all, typically, right? So those are, a lot of those people are like, I just want to go live out in the woods and leave me alone. Like, is that fine? And some of you are like, that sounds great. I just had spring break, and that's what I did, and I could do it again. You know, like, they, they don't want politicians at all. They don't want to give them any power. And then you have this other side, a lot of times it's a lot more urban and a lot more liberal. And a lot of times they'll give politicians too much power. And they think the way you solve the problems in the world is for the politicians to step in and solve those problems for us. And so some of you can relate to one side or the other, but if you think about it, it's also issue driven too, right? Because, because if you think about it, these people over here that typically are conservative and typically don't want the politicians to do anything about it. Just leave it all alone. We don't want to give you any power, except when it comes to issues like abortion. Like, then we really want you to step in, like we talked about last week. Then we really want you to step in. We actually want you to enforce our worldview in this culture all of a sudden. Just don't touch my money or my freedom. But you can definitely touch the cultural issues that I care about. Whereas over on this other side, they're all like, solve all the cultural issues. Oh, except for something like abortion. Stay out of that. We don't want you. We don't want to give you any power over here. And do you see how there's all of a sudden this confusion about what has even happened? We can't even agree, like, on one side or the other. Should they have power? Shouldn't they have power? And so it's no wonder then so many people have grown up and they go to a church where it's like, we are so dis you know, disassociated 
with the world that like, like we, we won't give, we, we won't even be a part of the world at all. So my church is like so disconnected from the culture that we don't have a clue what's really going on. Or my church has given its soul over to politicians. And I can't even tell like, are we, are we a political party or are we something different? Well, all along, Jesus is coming in and saying, political power has its limits. Yes, God has placed these people in power, but to serve my purpose. And so therefore, as Christians, we don't serve the politicians. The politicians serve to help us accomplish the mission God's called us to. Therefore, I don't fly the flag of my political party. I fly the flag of Jesus. There is a higher power that I've been called to. The social ills will not be solved by our politicians. God has called the church to go into a lost, desperate world to display and declare the gospel in any way possible. We utilize the political structures that God's put in place to aid us in the work of going and pounding the concrete to bring about the good of others and the glory of God, just like we talked about last week. When Donna came in and she was talking about the Women's Center and how we don't want to just be something like anti-abortion, we want to be pro-woman also. We want to be people who are out there in others' lives. So we use the power of politics, but it's limited to simply helping us accomplish our mission. It's not all-powerful. And I could go on and on and on and on, right? But I don't have time. All right, so... Come talk to me. All right, I got to keep going. All right. There's also limit to religious power. If you, if you remember, the other big group in here is the chief priests, the Jewish religious leaders. You remember what happened in that story I just read a little bit earlier? Remember what's going on in that? The chief priests, the, the ultimate religious people, the ones that were leading like in major ways, the ones who would have had the face mics like back in the day, like they were, they were, th- that's who we're talking about here. And if you, at the beginning of the story, you notice that they seem very pious. They seem very upright. They seem like the noble ones. In fact, they're, they're telling Pilate, who says, I see no flaw in him. They tell him, you don't see any flaw in him because you don't care about our God, but he's blaspheming our God, and in our law, he should be taken out. He's, after all, trying to steal the glory that is only due God. And so they look very upright. After all, we are the religious people. We are the religious leaders, and we will defend God's glory at all costs. But what we know deep down is the religious heart is really no different than the politician that's trying to seize power's heart. Like the religious heart is, is every bit as crooked and evil and wicked as the non-religious heart. Because at the crux of the religious heart is this mantra that if I obey, then God owes me acceptance. That's religion in a nutshell. If I do what God asks me to do and I follow all of his rules, I have a transactionary relationship with him. I made good on my end of the bargain. Now you owe me, God, acceptance. You owe me eternal life. You owe a blessing in my life. You owe me whatever it is that your God owes you. That's the religious mindset. The religious leaders back in the day, the ones that were the chief religious leaders, the chief priests, they had followed all the rules. And so therefore God owes them in their mind. And so they come across looking very pious. They come across looking very much about God's glory, but deep down inside, they're actually only about themselves. Because the religious heart is always deep down inside. I can be my own God. After all, if I can do enough to earn God's favor, then I'm on equal playing ground with him. I do enough, you owe me. I do enough, you owe me. I do enough, you owe me. Religious mantra, if I obey, then I'll be accepted. And here's the thing, is the Bible is very clear that in our sinfulness, it runs so deep that we will never obey a holy, perfect God enough to ultimately be accepted based on our merit alone. It's impossible. In fact, the very essence of sin, if you drill down in the Bible, isn't what you do on the outside. It's not the bad fruit. It's the root that causes that bad fruit to begin with, that root of sin that says, I don't need God, I can do it myself. I can seize the power myself. I can have the power to save myself. And the more I can grasp that power, and the more in control of my life I can, I can stay, then look, man, I'm, I'm gonna be golden, I have all the power I need. 
But look what happens. Religion always ultimately gets exposed for what it really is. By the end of the story, they were saying, Jesus broke the law. He's blaspheming God. He's against God's glory. But by the end of the story, what are they saying? We have no other king but Caesar. After all, you're not going to crucify him because he hasn't broken any laws. We want him to be crucified because he's threatening us as religious leaders. And so we'll say whatever we have to say to get our way because after all, I am the God of my own universe. So yeah, I don't care about God's glory. Just a second ago, it was all about blasphemy. Now all I care about is um, I have no other God but Caesar and he's pretending to be uh, a threat to Caesar, so kill him. In fact, my king is Caesar. That's the chief priests. I have no other king but Caesar. Religion always gets exposed as ultimately not all that powerful and frankly, oftentimes among leaders abusive to those who aren't in positions of religious leadership. And it happens to so many people that you would never think would be in jeopardy of being religious like that. I mean, I, mean, I, I have so many stories. I'm going to give you one story. So um, I, I moved up here last, last uh, July, and at my previous church, there was this really great uh, uh, story about this girl who had been far from Jesus, and she, she, put, her, she put her faith in Jesus. She'd, she'd kind of come back into the fold, and, and God was moving in her life in some powerful ways. She had a great singing voice, so we put her up on stage. Uh, we got her involved in our worship band, and for the first time, this girl who had, who had just really come out of a, a life of just rebellion and seeing God change her life in some major ways gets up on stage, and she, she's, now she's going to use her voice just to serve the church Beautiful, beautiful story. So she was nervous like crazy, man. Just did not want to let people down. Um, and so the, her first Sunday to get to, to get to sing, she gets up there and she sings. And she's just got this amazing voice, did an incredible job. Those of us who knew her story were just so moved at what God had done in her life that, that we could go from, from her out here where we met her to, to, to her actually leading us in some ways in some worship on stage. It was just a beautiful story of grace and, and redemption. But uh, that day, uh, it was her first time on stage, and no one had told her, but it was right when ripped jeans were becoming in style again. So she had a pair of jeans on, and they were like ripped around her knees, and you know, just stylishly ripped. That's all they were. And one of the ladies in our church, she was older lady, but uh, really big, like, like one of our key leaders in the church, had done so much stuff for Jesus in her life, and had served so many of our women uh, along the way, but she just got caught up in these ripped jeans, and she couldn't believe that we would let someone get up on stage with ripped jeans on. And so she started whispering to her friends out in the lobby after the service, you know, and they start talking about the ripped jeans. And this girl who had put her neck out there to serve the church and had had so much happen in her life, she goes walking past and she overhears, she overheard this other lady talking about her. And that other lady, this leader in our church, literally said to her friends, we all know what kind of girl would wear jeans like that. And she heard that. And so, you know, me doing what I do, uh, this is the fun part of the job, I get to make that phone call, you know, the next day, because obviously it gets back to me, and this woman's one of our key leaders, and so I call her up, and I confront her, you know, hey, do you realize what you said? At first she was defensive, oh, it wasn't a big deal. I was like, she heard you. We all know what you said right there. She heard you. And then she started yelling at me, like, how can you let someone have ripped jeans on the stage? And I said, her, she had holes in her knees. And you decided to rip her soul out of her that day. Because in your religious mindset, you felt like God and his sovereignty needed you to protect his glory in that moment. So good job. All of your religious mindset, all of your authority, all of the stuff that you had worked for years to establish around here, great job. That girl doesn't have a soul anymore. You literally slayed her in the moment. But thank God our guys don't have to avert their eyes from exposed knees up on the stage. God be glorified. She didn't say a whole lot after that, but like, uh, it was actually a really beautiful story after that. She kind of 
started to see my way of, uh, of thinking, which tends to happen in these conversations. So I can't wait to have this one with one of you one day. But, uh, and she came around and she actually went and apologized to this girl and laid down her soul and said, I was wrong and I was stepping into religion and it got a hold of me and I thought I was doing the right thing and it was terrible and you're not this person that I thought you were and there was reconciliation that happened. Uh, it still hurt and there were still scars but, but we saw the limits of religion and you see it all the time. And you might check the boxes. Look, I showed up to church, I, I serve, I... I even went on the mission trip, and I even, I even give a little bit of my money away every single week, and I do all this stuff. You're, you're going to find out that all of that is just stuff. It doesn't hold the power that so many of us think. And then I'll just say this to any of you that have been burned by a woman like that. She was caught up in sin, not the gospel. And what you've been called to in this moment is something very, very different than giving your lives over to religious authorities. You've been called into a deeper story that's calling you to find true power. Not political power, not religious power, true power. And let's close out by talking a little bit about that. Where does true power come from? I mean, Jesus is in this story as well, and if you notice, Jesus shows what true power actually looks like. In God's economy, true power comes from weakness, not from strength. What happens to Jesus in the story? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the, the, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus gets beaten. He gets a crown of thorns put on his head. He gets that purple robe thrown over him. I mean, he gets flogged. He is humiliated. He gets thrown out into the street there, mocking him, saying, look at your king, this pathetic man on the ground. And meanwhile, his, the people that should have been protecting him, his brothers and sisters, the Jewish leaders, they're mocking him as well and saying, no, we don't want him, crucify him. I mean, Jesus who had the power, and you guys know this, to like call down legions of angels in that moment and just wreck shop, he is humiliated, he is weak, he is thrown on the ground, he has nothing left. What's ironic is, is he gets weaker and weaker and weaker. It's leading to the weakest moment of his life where next week, as we'll talk about, he hangs on the cross and dies. Ultimate sign of weakness is death, but not just any death, death of a traitor, death of a criminal, death of a blasphemer hanging on the cross. And yet, in that moment as he's hanging on the cross, he is more powerful than anyone who's ever walked planet Earth. In fact, in the moment, that act of weakness was the most powerful act that humankind has ever seen. Because in that moment, Jesus becomes weak. So that you and me, caught up in the weakness of our own sins, caught up in a life where our sin runs so deep that we cannot save ourselves, Jesus becomes weak for us so that our sins can be cast onto him and we can be made strong, made alive again, given power in the kingdom of God. Do you see what's happening? Jesus lays down his life so that we can have life. Jesus becomes weak so that we can become strong. Jesus literally allows his life to be taken from, from him for nothing that he did on his own so that those of us who are sinful can now be called sons and daughters of God, the king. Jesus' death on the cross, enough to die for every sin that we ever committed, is the ultimate act of strength. You, do you realize if you came in the room today and you feel like you have sinned to the point that there's no hope for you anymore, or you feel like you've been told by religious leaders all your life that it's, there's no hope for someone like you, you're too dirty, you're too wicked, uh, in fact, if you come in a room like this, you're just going to stain everybody else. Do you, do you realize you just walked into a gospel service where the gospel is being proclaimed to you that you, you have not done anything that puts you outside the realm of the power of the grace of God? I don't care what you've done in your life. Jesus died so that those sins can be forgiven. And it's not like you got to go earn that. The Bible, John said earlier in his gospel, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So he's not waiting for you to clean up your life. He's saying the way for you to get ultimate power over your sins is to become weak. Give up that throne in your life. Say to yourself, I don't have to be my own savior anymore. I don't need to be religious. All I need to do is trust in Jesus. All I need to do is give my life over to him. All I need to do is trust that what he did on the cross was enough for me and receive the grace as a gift. And you'll find out that the gospel has incredible power. See, religion was, if I obey, then I'm accepted. The gospel is, I'm accepted. Not on the basis of what I do. On the basis of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And because I'm accepted through sheer grace alone, it gives me the power to begin to obey God in a whole new way. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you receive the Holy Spirit into you. And do you realize that that same spirit is the same spirit that we'll see in a couple weeks raises Jesus back from the dead. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is more powerful than the political leaders out there. They're pawns in God's hands. It's more powerful than the religious leaders that might have burned you in the past. You really think that the Holy Spirit can't control holes in someone's genes? No, it's more powerful than religion. That same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead pulsates inside of you. So we want to talk about real power. It comes from laying down your life. It comes from letting go of control. It comes from not seeking power, but seeking weakness. It comes from you going, I don't need to, I don't need to lord it over anybody else. I can lay down my life for other people. After all, Jesus laid down his life for me that I might be strong in his kingdom. Maybe the final way I'll say it today is just a quick little illustration as we close out today. Um, if you want to know where you get real power from, it's who you attach yourself to that your power comes from. You can attach yourself to a political party. It's limited. Limited at best. You can attach yourself to religious authorities. They're limited in their power. Your real power comes from who you're attached to. It's, it's like a, a scene out of the show Downton Abbey. I don't know if you ever watched Downton Abbey uh, before. I'm a proud man. I watched the whole thing. And many of you men uh, in this room, you know you watched it too, even though you haven't admitted it yet. But you know you watched it. You've watched it three or four times. You have it on, you have it on Blu-ray. Literally, you're watching it on Blu-ray still. So Downton Abbey, it's this beautiful uh, uh, show that came out several years ago on BBC. It's about, a, it's about a, um, in, in early 19th century England, about a big house in England where basically upstairs is, the, is Lord Grantham and his family, like royalty are upstairs. And downstairs in this big, huge house are the servants and the servants' quarters. And the servants downstairs, they literally live their lives to serve Lord Grantham and his family upstairs. And, and if you watch the show and how it plays itself out, I mean, the Granthams, they would never disgrace themselves by going downstairs, but downstairs, all the servants down there, led by Mr. Carson himself, like they live to serve the people upstairs. And then early on in the first season, uh, off on the horizon, a man starts walking up named Bates, and he's walking on a cane, and he's got a limp. He's walking up there, and he walks downstairs underneath the house, and he says, it's Mr. Carson here, and they show him to Mr. Carson, and Mr. Carson walks in all proper. He, after all, he's served Lord Grantham and his family for so many years, and he sees Bates walking up, and he rolls his eyes, and he thinks to himself basically at that point, no way this guy has got it. You can't serve the Granthams with a limp. There's no way. And so he starts talking to him all pompous, like, you're not going to last long, but I'll show you around. And then the other servants, they start to see Bates, and y'all know the story, like, they start to see Bates, and they're rolling their eyes, like, who does this guy think he is? Like, you really think a guy like you, this gimpy guy walking in, just named Bates, like you can serve anybody here in the, in the house whatsoever, give me a break. And they're all just like talking about him behind his back and they're like, this guy is pathetic, like give me a break. And so anyway, they're all down in the downstairs and they got this like room where they're all eating lunch together and they're all sitting around the table and Bates is sitting there and they're all whispering about him and then all of a sudden, Lord Grantham himself comes around the corner. Now, if you know anything, Lord Grantham never goes downstairs. But he walks around the corner, and everybody in that room, poof, jump on their feet immediately. After all, the Lord is in the room. And Lord Grantham looks around, and he says, Bates, my good fellow. Bates, my man. 
and they embrace. And everybody in that room's got wide eyes looking now. Who is this guy? And Lord Grantham shakes his hand and he says, I'll see you a little bit later. And he leaves and Bates goes and he sits back down and the rest of the servants are staring there. Their jaws dropped wide open, just staring at him. And he looks at him and the line is, you, did, you never asked. You never asked. What happened? The moment that Lord Grantham walks in the room and says, Bates, my good fellow, suddenly Bates' power is tied to who he's attached to. And everyone in the room knows it. And what we come to find out is that Bates will go on to be basically Lord Grantham's right-hand man. It's a great story. You should go and, and watch it. Um, and even if you're a man, it's worth watching. Trust me, we won't judge you. It's a great story. Here's the point. You can attach yourself to the politicians. You can attach yourself to the religious leaders. But the offer on the table is you can attach yourself to the true Lord today too. You, you can give your life over to Jesus. And you can call him your savior. You can call him your friend. You can call him father. You can, you can call him God. Like, you can literally attach yourself to the, to the Savior of the universe so that when he walks in the room, he looks at you, and maybe your name isn't Bates, but you can say, my son, my daughter, and you can be attached to the ultimate power in the universe. It's a free gift. It's on the table. Lay down your life and accept it. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I'm grateful that in a story leading up to this amazing crucifixion that Jesus is going to go through, the next part of this book of John, you first and foremost are dealing with doing away with all of the powers that are limited in this world, all the ones that would try to stand in the way of your story unfolding. God, I'm grateful that you, you, you showed that politicians don't have true authority, that religious leaders don't have the true authority, that there is a higher authority, Jesus, a higher power, the gospel. And God, I know in this room right now there are people who have been burned by religious authority in their lives, and I pray today that you would reveal to them, if nothing else today, that you would reveal to them how limited those people's power really was, even if they for years have thought that they've had power over them. And I, I just pray that you would set people free from that today. Show them that they don't need religion, that they can have you not as an angry, spiteful God, but as a loving Father, welcoming them into your family through grace. I pray that they would find more power and grace than in the condemnation that they felt maybe for years. God, there's some of us in here, frankly, we need to repent that we've given our lives as much over to our political party as we have to you. God, some of us, we, we, we would need to repent that if you really were to peel back our layers, it would be hard to figure out what's distinctly Christian over and opposed to what we view at a political level. And, and God, we just come before you and we know that, that, you, that you use politics and you use our politicians to, to help advance your, your story, but God, what we need is just to come back to you and we pray that you would hear our cries of repentance and that you would help us, Lord, to, to find a loyalty towards Jesus that's higher than our loyalty towards any political party, that the highest flag we would fly would be Jesus. But God, out of an overflow of that, allow us to speak the gospel, allow us to declare the gospel, allow us to display and live out the gospel in our world around us for others' good and for your glory. Lord, what we do today now as we turn to you in worship is we, we ask that you would reveal to us your glory, that you would continue to display to us how much better Jesus is than any other power out there and how he is a king like no other. So we turn to you, we pray this to you, our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.
As we close out, we're going to worship God two ways that we do every week. We're going to take communion together, and then we're going to sing together about his glory. Um, When you came through the door, there's some communion elements in the back. One is some bread that looks like this, and the other is a cup of grape juice that looks like this. Uh, If you didn't get that, man, you're welcome to stand up and go grab some of that from the back. Uh, And I want to encourage you to take communion with us today. Uh, Take this bread, and I want you to think about this bread for a second. The bread represents the body of Jesus that is broken for us, for our sins. Some of you, for the first time today, maybe you need to finally put your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Maybe you've been trying to be your own God for so long, and you need to turn to him today and just trust that your sins were forgiven, not by what you do, but what Jesus did when he allowed his body to be broken for you. But for all of us today, if you can get to a point where you can find weakness enough to lay down your own life and say, I don't need to be my own savior. Instead, I'm going to submit myself to Jesus and what he did for me. If you can receive that as grace, and I encourage you to eat the bread with us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he passed it around to his disciples. He said, eat this, all of you, this is the bread of my body that'll be broken for you so that your sins may be forgiven. So do this in remembrance of me. Next, if you open that cup, there's some grape juice in there that represents the blood of Jesus, which represents the new covenant that God entered into with us through the gospel. That new covenant is just a way of God saying he wants to be with you. He wants to call you his son. He wants to call you his daughter. He didn't just want your sins to be forgiven. He wants to be in your presence. That's power. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you through faith in Jesus. If you can receive that new covenant, that the very presence of God can be with you today through the grace of the gospel, then I would encourage you to drink the cup as well. That later that night, Jesus took a cup full of wine. He passed it around to his disciples, and he said, drink this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant that will be shed for you. So do this in remembrance of me. So would you stand up with us as we turn to him and worship him in song now. Father, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes. We turn to you now, our Father, and we worship Jesus as the better one and as the ultimate king. We pray this in the name of Jesus.